Lotus. Lotus and ACAP. Malawi and Botswana, as Africa goes, and really as mining jurisdictions go around the world, they're, they're both relatively strong mining jurisdictions. Mate, Botswana's um, the number two ranked uh, mining jurisdiction in the Fraser Institute. It's actually head of WA, believe it or not. I, I think like the, the knock on that Botswana asset is the fact that it is low grade. Both of these projects are in Africa, like we said, but they're 2,000 kilometers apart. The bigger the company you are, the more programmatic buying you get from these indexes, especially if uranium has a bit of a run itself. G'day, Money Waters. Go the mighty New South Wales Blues. We finally got a bloody win and I'm a bit dry. JD Travrigiato, I gather you didn't watch The Origin. No, mate, but you finally had a, I think I know what the change was between the prior games and the current one. You started wearing a blue hat watching the games. A hooteroo hat. Mate, I caught a bit of the game, actually. There you I go. caught a bit and I checked the score just to say, is Maddie going to be in a good mood today? Oh, I'm in a bloody good mood. I yeah. still come in in the same health way. Uh, <laughs> anyway, boys, uh, the the fans want poem. I can't say it right. Poem. Poem. Poem number two. We released poem number one from our mate Chris yeah, in yeah. the Hooteroo chat, who's got a bit of a natural knack for pumping out a bit of poetry. And we'll, uh, why not start off with a number, another poem about the money miners? JD, do you want to read it? I'll let you read this one. <laughs> You've got that soothing radio talk. Right, here we voice. go. I, 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 I don't think I could do the Prince of uh, Bel Air. Bloody accent, Trav. <laughs> That's all right, good mate. Good try. Mate, I prefer your strine tone. Here we go. Right. Maddie, Travis and Jonas, a motley crew, the Hooteroo money miners to their roots true. Three blokes from different paths, breaking the mould, a bogan chant to the sound of drills and dreams of gold. Maddie, from the depths he did emerge, an ex-miner with a newfound urge. With every strike of pick and spade, his love for the underground never did fade. Travis the banker, from the hustle he fled. For the Aussie outback, he was instead led. He'd wank to the drill's <laughs> rhythm in, a, in the evening haze, his heart throbbing with the market's craze. And Jonas the researcher, once trapped in a cube, found freedom in the bogan's jovial rube. Big rubric. <laughs> Every nugget of data made his pulse quicken. In the mine of information, his fingers would thicken. Together they'd laugh to cipher and trade each headline, each rumour, each stock upgrade. In flannies and stubbies they'd sift and sieve. Sieve, yeah. Sieve in the rustling papers their dreams live. Hooteroo mates they'd cheer with a grin as the mining news would roll right in. Drills humming their lullaby, loud and bold. They're the Aussie money miners forever chasing gold. <laughs> Each wank, a salute to the dreams untold. Each laugh, a story waiting to unfold. From dawn till dusk, from the pit to the tower, they'd harness the drills, unending power. <laughs> Bloody brilliant. Hello, right, Christopher. Oh, mate, I showed, that, man. Oh. I showed that one to Broads uh, and I was like, look at this, Broads. Like, we've got some – one of the money miners has written a poem about us. How cool. And she read it and she's like, if you go missing – I know whose house to rock up to <laughs> if I'm looking for you. Oh. <laughs> You've been abducted. <laughs> oh. Love your so, work, Chris. Sorry for the uh, – there was some mentions of um, wanking in there, but hopefully it doesn't offend anyone, huh? Oh, there was another <laughs> comment on uh, Twitter I found really funny. It was um, someone someone commented on the screenshot of the poem and said, there's a great opportunity to rhyme third-grade banker with first-grade 
wanker <laughs> in the description of me. So I, I thought that was quite, quite funny and also a little bit true. So <laughs> you're, a, you're a third grade banker and a third grade cricketer. <laughs> wow. Boys, well, what's happening today? I've been on the tools uh, getting the Rusty Eddie episode Rusty Eddie Ready <laughs> episode for tomorrow, which uh, you can look forward to coming out Friday about the Abyssinian saga. Guys, did you catch on Twitter? So we had Peter Dutton confirm he's a, a money miner last week. And then today I've seen Elon Musk, also a fan of the show. He's tweeted, nuclear energy is underrated for sure. Whoa, mate. Must be watching the show too. We've got some big fans. Yeah. God, it has some bloody impact on that. Well, according to Zuckerberg, Twitter's going to be overrated soon with his new little threads thing. So begin Mm. the Zuckerberg-Musk war. Aren't they going to have a punch-up like a boxing match? A wrestle. A wrestle. Is that real? I'm looking forward to it. Apparently. Wow. Bloody weird. Right, boys. uh, (laughs) Now, the Abyssinian did come out with a bit of a rebuttal and look, it would be only fair to talk – uh, present that as well as both, as well as Eddie and Rusty's side. Absolutely. Um, boys, what was in it? So, yeah, is like it you pu- said- Is it publicly it, available or it's sort of circulating internally? Circulating well, so amongst shareholders, yeah. Yeah, so it came out in two point parts. There was a shareholder update and then as well as that, there was sort of commentary in response to the 249D that we'd obviously discussed with Rusty and Eddie. So, so for, for everyone that doesn't know, that hasn't listened to the, what was that, two days ago? That was the Tuesday yeah, I think episode. Tuesday's episode. Tuesday's episode, we gave an intro to what this Abyssinian um, 249D is. Uh, it's a private, well, it's a publicly unlisted company. So you won't find it on the ASX. It's for a lithium project in Ecuador. In um, Ethiopia. Ethiopia, sorry. Um, yeah, so. Yeah, head the, back and listen if you want to. It's a good chat. Absolutely. So. The, um, the 249D response, it's prefaced with commentary to address incorrect info sent to you by minority shareholders. So that's obviously referring to the, the 249D that Rusty, Eddie and the guys at Tribeca and United Funds are undertaking. Some of the highlights from that initial, that email were, in quotes, criticism of the board is unfounded and totally without substance. The 249D amounts to an attempt to acquire control of a world-class asset without payment and as highlighted in the attached shareholder update, the board has made significant progress to secure funding for Conteacher and in the short term to list the company on overseas exchanges. So as we discussed on Tuesday, we ran through the sort of 10 points that the minority shareholder group were addressing and reasons where they sort of had seen that the incumbent board had fallen short. And I'll just go through a couple of the quotes that were responses by the current Abyssinian board to uh, Rusty and Eddie and the team there. The claim that Abyssinian doesn't have ownership of Conticha is incorrect. Abyssinian claimed the vesting conditions regarding issuing stock following the acquisition of the Hasai project were satisfied, so i.e. that the shares were rightly issued. The board claimed the assertion that they tried to unilaterally extend their performance rights was entirely false and misleading. And lastly, they claimed that it was also false that funding was secured in early 2022 on the messaging that Martin Rowley and his team would become involved in the management of Abyssinian. So to sort of round out this on what we've got to say on Abyssinian, we'd just like to make the call out to Neil Warburton, Stephen Miller, or Bruce Tinney, that the line is open here at Money of Mine. If they want to come on, say their side of the story, we'd be more than happy to hear from them. And that we've also got the longer form chat with Eddie and Rusty coming out tomorrow. And it expands 
upon the Abyssinian sort of case, but also broadly on the Corpse Act and sort of director misalignment that the guys have brought to our attention and that they see throughout the industry. So it was a super interesting chat. We're keen to hear what the money miners think about that. But I guess just to reiterate what you said, this is the, from the side of the 249D. Um, yeah. This, where would we, we'd be happy to see here the other side from the company too mate, to could facilitate you imagine, that. Could you imagine? Um, oh, put them all exactly. together. <laughs> you know what I was thinking, mate. <laughs> oh, wow. Oh, that would be wild. It'll be via phone, so there'll be uh, with... No, not let's get, not let's in, get them in punching, person. physical punching but distance. We but. might need to use the mute buttons if uh, we brought them both <laughs> on at the same time. <laughs> yeah. Uh. So look, lines lines are open. Happy to facilitate. We are a middleman. Yeah, that'd be that'd be that'd be juicy content. But yeah, mm. like yeah, Neil Warburton in particular is the chairperson. Uh, we'd like to have you on the show. Oh, easy, right, boys? Uh, Lotus. Lotus and you mentioned Lotus Aker. in the uranium chat. Was it? Yeah, they got a shout out. They're a yeah. sort of. Uh, you know, circa $250 million ASX uranium uh, developer. They've got an asset in Malawi. So they're looking to create a, a bigger uranium-focused, African-focused uranium business, and they're going to go about this deal with ACAT through a scheme of arrangements. That's one new Lotus share for every 3.54 ACAP shares held. They end up with about 80% of the pro forma? Yeah. 79? Yeah, roughly, yeah. roughly 80%. And the, I mean, the deal has essentially been pitched to ACB, that's ACAP, at about a 20% premium to the last traded price. So they've also got one of the major shareholders, I think it's a Singaporean group, that hold about 38% of ACAP uh, to s- confirm already that they'll vote in favour of the deal. So yep. scheme of arrangement. without their support. <laughs> so, exactly. Yeah. Scheme of arrangement. So it looks like there's uh, acceptance on both sides of the table. Lotus, as I sort of touched on their Malawi a- asset, it's called Kaya Lekera and it's a restart project. So I think the restart capex was 88 million US. US. Yeah, it used to yep. be um, a Paladin asset back yep. in the day. Um, yep. Yeah, and then ACAP brings to the table Lat Lakane, which is a, an earlier stage uranium project in Botswana. So Malawi and Botswana, as Africa goes, and really as mining jurisdictions go around the world, they're, they're both relatively strong mining jurisdictions. Mate, Botswana's the number two ranked uh, mining jurisdiction in the Fraser Institute. It's actually ahead of WA, believe it or not, in the latest the latest ranking. Yeah. So it's well, what, what deems that ranking like in terms of country risk or just as in... I think uh, it's prop- across the board. It's uh, the... Abundance ease. of minerals. Oh, there's a no, whole no. bunch of factors they oh, take so in, it's such it's as... Everything. Yeah, yeah like right. another one is like the ability to permit projects there, for example. Yeah. Um, yeah, like, you know, Victoria has a way worse ranking than WA because of permitting. Yeah, like it's, it's not sure. to do with like the, the quality of asset you're going to find there. It's to do with, you know, can you turn it into a mine? What are the, you know, all the standards, the environmental standards, how is permitting, how achievable yeah. is permitting? And yeah. take, takes into account sovereign risk as well, yeah. does it? Yeah, yeah it does, right. yeah. That's, that's at the core of it. Policy yeah. regimes. Oh, well, once, yeah. these, uh, once these heritage laws come in, in 12 months' time, that could uh, see us slide down that, if that permitting... Um, yeah, it could. It's those exactly those sorts of things. Becomes more difficult. And you uh, looked into the the asset that ACAP bring to the table there, Trav. Yeah, mate, I, I did take a look at it. Um, and I, I think like the, the knock on that Botswana asset is the fact that it is low grade. It's only 321 uh, parts per million. But, but if you focus on the high grade um, portion of it, which Lotus may in fact choose to do, and you give it a higher cutoff grade, you know, call it 300 parts per million cutoff grade, then the resource becomes a bit higher grade, you know, 103 million pounds at 450 
um, parts per million instead. So it'll be interesting to see what their their strategy is with it. Um, I've seen some some interesting commentary out from from Shaw's on to, to that extent, which we'll touch on a bit a bit later. Gotcha. Okay, so let, let's sort of look at the the value that these companies are pitching. So. Both of these projects are in Africa, like we said, but they're 2,000 kilometres apart. So there's no clear production synergies between the two assets. It's not like you can have one mil or anything like that. You get the obvious benefits of scale though. So it makes me think of the deal we spoke about with DDH1 and Parenti a couple of weeks back, where by being a bigger company, you can attract more attention from institutional investors. Uh, I think, Trav, you'll touch into the... Uh, ETFs that take notice and they buy in, in bigger weighting of bigger companies. You also have the, the sort of obvious corporate synergies. You don't need two teams to run the, the different companies. You can just clean out one of them. Yeah, I look at this deal. It reminds me a little bit, but there was this uh, merger between Deep Yellow and Vimy in the uranium space yep. uh, a bit more than 12 months ago from memory. And it was the first bit of uranium M&A in a long time. Like uranium M&A just um, seized for, for quite some time until that deal. Yeah. Deep Yellow, of course, the old uh, the old Paladin management team. Yeah, there. yeah, yeah. Uh, John Borshev there. Yep. Yeah, and so they acquired Vimy. There was, like, I think uh, some people were, were maybe a little bit um, curious as, as to the rationale there because the assets are in different different jurisdictions, different countries, different risk profiles, et cetera. And I, I kind of look at this deal not necessarily with the same lens, but a somewhat similar lens. I think I think it's not to be understated the transaction rationale um, of of management when it comes to just like enhanced index inclusion as well. Like a bigger company, larger market cap, larger free float potentially um, gives you a greater propensity to be included in these uranium indexes. And there's a few of them floating about. I haven't done the analysis myself to see what you know what the thresholds are for inclusion into these indexes. Um, Etc. But I'd love to. I'd love to see if someone has done that work to get a copy of it because I'm. I'm sort of thinking in my head. Um, the bigger the company you are, the more programmatic buying you get from these indexes, especially if uranium has a bit of a run itself. And that that's um, that's an, an interesting uh, piece of rationale there on that front. The yeah. other the other point that I think is like a real a real benefit. It just comes from having um, it comes from having you know slightly deeper capital pools available them to finance the project because they now have a more diverse shareholder base to draw upon for equity. So you mentioned that $88 million capex that um, you know Lotus need to restart. They've got FID on that project, which the market is expecting in the second half of this calendar year. When it comes time to, to fund that, um, they've now got deeper pools of, of equity to potentially tap into by virtue of the fact they've got more diverse shareholders. Gotcha. And you, and you touched on some commentary from, from Shores, I think. What yep. did they have to say about the deal? Yeah, Andrew Hines at Shores, uh, who, who does a good job covering the uranium space there. Uh, he says, in our view, this appears sensible strategic acquisition, which provides Lotus with a development uranium asset beyond the restart of its Kalakira uranium project in Malawi. Lotus is acquiring a large uranium resource at the very low cost of around US 21 cents per pound compared to the global average EV per pound of around $2.60 per pound for undeveloped uranium projects. So, I mean, it is that low multiple because it's a low-grade project. So, yep. Well, you're talking about that great, so 450 parts per million. Remember Matty Langsford talking about that too, sex uranium that was, didn't he say something like got 15% uranium drill hits or something like that? Oh, uh, yeah, that was the um, F... F- you oh geez, I'm gonna F three F three F three F U two yeah <laughs> <laughs> but that's um yes yes yeah, so I'll be I'll be I'll be interested to know what like 
like if you hear five percent copy, like oh, that's pretty good. It'd be interesting yeah. to see what the uh, if anyone if any of the money miners want to inform oh. us on what a what uranium grades are good and what are bad. The grade distribution is so interesting here. Nothing like from an undeveloped project perspective, nothing compares to next gen. Like it's literally that high grade that it's you know bloody radioactive. Um, that, that was another one we spoke to Maddie about. Yeah. What was the, what's the grades of that? Do you know off the top of your head? Oh, I'd have to dig it up, but it's just you look at a. I've seen a bar chart comparing it, and it's just like off the charts compared oh, to. So the rest. it's like a Mount Weld, like. In, yeah. Or a green bushes, it's yeah. that outlier. Yeah, there's also yeah. different mining methods as well. Like keep in mind, there's like these the hard rock mining and in situ mining as well, which yeah. is common in yeah. Kazakhstan. Yeah, you producers. could imagine the um, the site based procedures on mining a high grade uranium deposit to protect all the workforce. It'd be um, very stringent. Yeah, a lot to consider. So, all right, next one. AIC mines ticker A one. M, your mate Aaron Collar and Trav. Yeah, mate. Uh, yeah, he's a, he's, a, he's, a, he's a straight shooter, Aaron. So Maiden, Rees, uh, Maiden Reserve at Jericho was today's announcement. So Yeah, so they're flagships, obviously, the Eloise Copper Project, North yep. Queensland. Um, yep, they're producing a bit from there. So need to uh, clarify that I own a couple of these. Before oh, you're we get the in. ding, ding, ding. Ding, 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 yeah. I've... I picked up a few of these a few months back. So like you said, the Eloise project near Cloncurry, so in Queensland, and this particular reserve, Jericho, which they've come out with today, sits about four kilometres from the mine that, uh, like I said, AIC is operating already. So the reserve today is 1.8 million tonnes at 1.8% copper and 0.3 grams per tonne gold, so all up containing just under 33,000 tonnes of copper and just under 20,000 ounces of gold. So it converts a bit less than 20% of the resource into reserve and the company expects as they do more infill drilling, they'll expand this and that infill drilling is already underway. So if you combine the two projects together, Jericho and Eloise, it combines for 4 million tonnes at the moment at 2% copper and half a gram uh, per tonne of gold. So all up 85,000 tonnes of copper and 63,000 ounces of gold. So no huge scale or anything. And importantly, on the Met front, the company said that uh, the Jericho, the understanding they have of the Met at Jericho and the testing they've done so far shows that it's pretty similar to Eloise. So if you put if you put a question out on the underground mining forums on Facebook and that and you ask what are the, the hottest mine you've worked at or hottest mine in Australia, Eloise is one of the most said answers. Yeah, well, I hottest, can imagine. Hottest underground mines in Australia. And it might be getting bigger with this. So they're looking to expand the plant there. Uh, One quote that stood out to me from today's announcement was that preliminary financial modelling indicates that a staged expansion will provide the best return on investment and minimise production interruption. So they still need to get environmental approvals and a mining lease for this uh, Jericho tenements and they're expecting this within nine months, so in the first quarter of next calendar year. And then we'll see the box cut go in, the decline go in and mining should be underway and ideally for the company producing by early 2025. So just to wrap... Yeah, Yeah, sorry, I remember, like, you know, the precision guys always talked pretty favourably about AIC. They seem to be pretty uh, not bad at generating cash. Correct me if I'm wrong, you boys. Yeah, it's a, so they got $37.7 million in cash as of the last quarter, although they had done a raising not too long ago, and that puts them at an EV of $145 million roughly. Um, there's, there's a couple sort of pros about the team, like you touched on Alan Colleran. That's a Aaron. Not Aaron. Aaron. <laughs> Pretty sure I said Aaron. Oh, I heard different. <laughs> it's, uh, we'll, see, we'll see what the recording we, has to we say. say. We say, oh, yeah, um, I reckon Trav's right. Sorry. Ooh. <laughs> um, 
So they've got a pretty well-regarded management team. That's one of the pros that people draw to this. They're a, they're a high-cost producer, though, so you know they might be producing a bit of cash at the at the current levels, but it's not an awful lot. But they've got a very high sort of leverage to that copper price, which we'll get into. So mm-hmm. o- overall, it's a pretty solid announcement, though. Obviously, nothing massive. I'm pretty keen to see them convert more with the infill drilling of that resource into reserve, and then. We've got our eyes peeled for what that capex bill will will be. We've seen numbers between twenty five and up to fifty million needed to uh, sort of scale up the the production there, so that they can hit that sort of twenty thousand tons per annum copper produced in in a few years time. So I think I think when I when I did talk to the Precision Boys about it, it was you know a couple of years ago when copper prices were a lot higher. They're obviously a lot lower now. I think they were above four bucks a pound. Yeah, yeah I mean, a couple uh, of points to make four, on four bucks not too long ago. Yeah. Yeah, a couple points to make on it. One is keep in mind the history of this asset. It was in private hands for a long time. It was uh, Biggie Bartlett, Biggie Bartlett's uh, private FMR, wasn't it? Yeah, and the, the word on the street was that it was um, like there wasn't much development capex spent for a lot of years there. And, and the way that AIC have gone about it is they spent the money on development, and, and you know the aim is to reap the rewards of, of that um, by virtue of you know lower mining cost over time. Bill Bill Bowman was the general manager at Eloise in his younger days when he was with. Barminka, he went yeah. over there to be FMR's, the GM of the project for yeah. Piggy. And yeah. FMR still by far still the share, major shareholder. Yeah, 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 as part of that transaction. And and um and I think the other the other thing to keep in mind when we're talking about the history of the transaction as well is um it, it wouldn't be surprising to me if the strategy when um when 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 Aaron acquired Eloise was always to consolidate it with with Jericho. So the the um the history of Jericho kind of is, is part of the story there, right? Because Jericho, um, they, 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 they acquired that via, via this, um, the merger with D-Metallica. Now, D-Metallica was formed because uh, Andromeda merged with Minotaur and it was actually Minotaur's ground. So, like, it was a, a Kalen deal that sort of facilitated this entity becoming acquirable ah, where, all in the uh, long run. Minotaur, God, I, re- I remember, <laughs> I remember, was it, I think, Tony LeCantro, always on Sky News Business, Plugging Minotaur yeah. back in the day before uh, uh, yeah. before probably different yeah, asset laws. <laughs> Minotaur was like the minority JV partner of the uh, the Halio site thing in South Australia, but they also had this um, this ground near 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 Eloise. I think at one uh. point it was even a that ground was somewhat of a farm in or JV with Oz Minerals or something, and that got tidied up at some point in time too. But you know, for 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 Aaron to bring it all together, there's a bunch of transactions that went there and now he's got the two things together. He's got control of them and he's spending the money to, to drill them out and hopefully um, turn it into into a, you know, one of one of the very few uh, copper producers on the ASX. Hopefully they can um, produce cash for shareholders. Mate, yeah. Nothing gets my rocks off more, Trav, than a good bloody historical rundown like you've just done, mate. <laughs> That's bloody sensational, mate. I can love it. Yeah, go check out me bloody Atlantic uh, Windamara one yesterday. Yeah, that got me going. Yeah, uh, I think that, that's the perfect way to, to round out on AIC there. One of the few ways you can get exposure to copper on the ASX and they're a highly leveraged story. So they're a high cost producer. And if the copper price goes for a run, like many sort of people think it will over the, the medium term, then you're, you're going to see the advantage of that. Are they, do you know if they're fully exposed to this copper spot price, how they how the contracts and whatever the offtake is? Is it I, be, cor- I believe they've got no hedging in place, if that's, yeah, if that's yeah, a question. So yeah, so, yeah. yeah. Ah, too easy. Right, is that it for the day, boys? 
Home and a couple of companies. That's it, mate. That's it, mate. We've got BD today. We have got. We've got BD today. <laughs> and it might, was it? Oh, we can't say who with. No. Uh, and a treat for the money miners tomorrow. So yeah, our chat with tune, Rusty tune and Eddie. for the chat with the yep. infamous Rusty Delroy and Eddie Rigg. Infamous? I think Rusty Rusty is infamous. He is an enigma. I don't think he's put his um, – <laughs> I don't lot. think he's put himself out on a podcast ever in history. I'd say maybe elusive, maybe not infamous. <laughs> he's an enigma. He's very enigmatic. Like sure him. is. Absolute GC. Bloody yeah. – uh, too Great, easy, mate. boys. Let's bloody rip this out and go have some uh, business development refreshments. Love, Love it, lads. Hooteroo. Hooteroo, money miners. The information contained in this episode of Money of Mine is of general nature only and does not take into account the objectives, financial situation or needs of any particular person. Before making any investment decision, you should consult with your financial advisor and consider how appropriate the advice is to your objectives, financial situation and needs.